everybody. As much as we don't want to, we have to talk uh, about the game on Friday. My name is Lewis. Welcome back inside the Shark Tank. Uh, and joining me to discuss maybe one of the worst games of rugby we'll, we'll watch all season is my co-host Alex. Alex, how are you? Um, having recurring dreams about Mickey Young box kicking um, pretty much, mate. But other than that, I'm fine. How are you? Uh, yeah, much much the same. Determined to try and get the the hour and a half of my life from Friday back, uh, but ultimately I've then got to come on a podcast and and talk about it for another forty five minutes. So uh, not having much success with that one. But I mean, let, let, let's you know we, we we're already talking about it. It's Friday night, the Northern Derby is back. Sail travel up to Kingston Park, uh, play a, a pretty poor game of rugby all around. I think it's fair to say and ultimately lose the game due to a Toby Flood try uh, in, the fi- in the final play of the game, leading to a 15-13 loss. Uh, I mean, Alex, you could call it a uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. To be honest, you could also uh, you could also categorise Kobus Visa scoring in the corner as snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. It was a really poor game all around, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And I think... You know, Newcastle had clearly had a way to play against us, and that didn't involve playing um, exciting rugby. And you know, I think Dean Richards had a plan, and his team executed it pretty well. Um, and certainly in the first half, were all over us. Um, but unfortunately, that just made it a dreadful spectacle. <laughs> you know, and people. You know, I was having this at the time, people saying, oh, why don't we run it in? The commentators saying, why don't someone run it in? And it's like, well, you know, you've got Marlon Yard or Faf de Klerk on their own. If they run it into a big black wall of Newcastle players, then they're going to get turned over and lose a penalty. So there's no point running it in, but it just almost forces the game into a kicking contest. Um, and we just weren't adaptable enough or clever enough to move away from our plan A, I think. Um, so yeah, massively frustrating, and just you know watching us kind of toil um, to to work out a way to play against Newcastle was was pretty frustrating. Um, a dreadful first half where we scored no points and didn't really offer anything, and then we came back into it a bit in the second half, and you think, oh, okay, when Cambridge Beast scores the try, and you know, and then we win the penalty on our own five meter line, we, you think, right, we're in here. Um, and and we still find a way to to you know muck it up, and I think even it was quite an exciting finish, but it wasn't remotely interesting. You know, I think you said the game just ended, didn't it? And it was almost like everyone wanted that to be over. They didn't want to bother doing a TMO review of the try. They didn't want to you know bother getting the tee on for the conversion. Even just get it over and get off the field, and let's forget about it. Which is very much the way I thought, because I immediately turned it off and went over to the Super League Grand Final instead, because I just couldn't bear to watch any more of sale players letting me down again. I, I, I mean, yeah, let's let's talk about the ending first and foremost. Not that there's much to talk about for the rest of the the, the eighty-one minutes or, or whatever it was. That ending was so bizarre because I think I'm sat here three days afterwards and I've still not seen a replay from a different angle uh, of, of that Toby Flood try. You know, it's the, the clock's dead. It's, you know, uh, Falcons are playing with uh, the penalty advantage. It's a very clever box kick over the top from Mickey Young. And what sort of surprised me the most is the fact that Flood goes in effectively unopposed. When the ball bounces, 
he's about five meters ahead of Marlon Yard. So there's either two things that have happened here. I've not been able to, vin- you know, I've not been able to verify this. Either Marlon Yard is standing still when Mickey Young puts the box kick in, which seems unlikely, and Toby Flood just run right past him, or Toby Flood is is you know slightly, largely offside. I don't know, but. I, I, I honestly just the, the way the game kind of finished and, and the, the ease in which Flood scores, and then that was it. You know, I think it was Joel Hodgson takes the quick conversion. I don't know if there's anything in that. You know, I'm trying not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but it was just kind of like kick went over, Flood scored, Hodgson, you know, rushes the, the conversion. That's the game. No TMO review, no replay on, on BT Sport. Their coverage basically ended five minutes after the, the game including an advert break, and that was it. And, I, I mean, I don't know about you, I think, so I don't know if you've got any Zapruder film footage to suggest otherwise, but it, it does just kind of feel like the game just kind of ended and no one seemed to, to want to look at the, the, the actual defining moment of the game. Yeah, I know. In a game where nothing went on, that was the only thing of any vague interest, to, to not, you know, even look at it is really odd. I, I, it was It was a very, very strange state of affairs and i think when you look at the replay flood is you know pretty far advanced and he, he may well have just timed the run um you know i think it's probably one of those where it was tight but as, as you rightly say to not even look at a replay not even have anything showing us any other angle you know this was it's not like this was the one-off game um you know this was on bt sport extra and you've got one commentator this was the only game on that night um, and yeah, I agree that the drop goal conversion is is weird as well because there's just no need. Um, so very odd. And I think you know we'll never know. We'll never know, will we? And it's it's you know it's one of those where back in the old days before TMOs, that would probably never have been looked at anyway. So what what can you do? But no, I agree. I would I would like to see a replay that shows whether he was onside or offside just for my own curiosity, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, and, and you know, I think ultimately it's probably, on, on the basis of play, it's probably a fair result. I don't really think Sale did anything to, uh, to you know, to deserve to win the game. And, and when Cobus V, you know, scores that try in the 74th minute, it did have an air of Sale are going to steal one here, where maybe they don't deserve it. And maybe Newcastle didn't deserve it either. And actually, my, my sort of prevailing thought when the Falcons were playing with the penalty advantage was, this will go nowhere. Brett Cannon will, will knock the points over. It'll end, 15, it'll end 13 apiece, and it's a draw. And that would be a really fair result. And ultimately, that didn't happen. You know, it was a great little bit of uh, play from, from Mickey Young. It's a well-taken try. Like we've both said, it's very strange. We've still not seen a replay of it. Um, but ultimately, Falcons you know, probably did enough on, on the night to, to, to shade a win. And I think of the two teams, they were probably slightly more deserving uh, of, of picking up the four points, even if a, a draw is probably a fair result overall. But I don't know, Alex, you know, you know when, when Cobus scores that try, were you, were you kind of thinking the same, that, we were going to kind of steal one here without really deserving it. Well, I definitely think we didn't deserve it. I'm not sure I had any faith at that point that we'd see it out. (laughs) You know, I thought, I said, my initial reaction was, I mean, I think, you know, I was like, we need to make this conversion because if we don't, 
when we concede the penalty, we're inevitably going to concede from the kickoff. We'll be in trouble. Um, but you know, it was just. I think you are right. We didn't deserve it. I'm not saying Newcastle deserved it, but I think for the way they executed their game plan in the first half, particularly, they probably deserved it. We kind of eventually worked it out and came back in, but you know, they had a they had a method of playing against us, and it completely showed us up for for massive weaknesses in our game. Because if I was any other team now, I would say, right, just box kick to them, box kick to them, and they'll kick it back, and they don't have anything. You know, they don't make a mistake, and that's what Falcons were really good at. They didn't make many mistakes. Um, especially not in crucial areas. And they had one chance in the first half and they took five minutes to get over the line, but they did get over. And then they had one, pretty much one chance in the second half and, and you know, again, got over and executed it well. So, no, I don't think either team deserved much out of this game. Um, there's there's probably an argument to make somewhere of, well, you know, it's not very good for two teams to come and play pretty negative rugby, especially Falcons at home. But, you know, I think, especially when you look at their squad, they've got a really, really sort of good bunch of local players. And, and you know, but there's there's a bit of a lack of experience there. You know, there's not, there's certainly not the star names that we've got on our team sheet. So they've got to learn, work out ways to play against us. Because if they come and play an open running game against us, then you would, you would like to think that we would... Um, we would score a few tries and probably put them out of sight. So I think, you know, they they deserve to win in the way that they manage the game and they executed the basics really well. Um, but just in terms of quality of rugby, it was pretty dour on Friday. Um, and I think it was almost back to our bad old days of being on BT Sport, wasn't it? And, you know, just not being able to offer anything when we're on TV. Unfortunately, all games are on TV now, so it does make that a bit of an issue for us in the season. Well, I think, I mean, let's pivot to three-word reviews then because there's a great one from Nicholas uh, Waite, which I wanted to, to mention, that I think touches on, on some of those points there, Alex, which is grey matter missing, which I think is perfect. You know, just you know, we, we didn't think the game properly and there's a point on, on Newcastle's players that I wanted to come back on there. But just some other kind of reviews from, from our listeners and other people who sat through that dross on, on Friday night. Uh Salop Sharks, uh, no more plastic. Uh, ben Gledhill, we love penalties. Kath Littler, dull, dull, dull. Andrew Taylor, reversal under do posts. Like that one, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Nige, H64, line out mess. Uh, and a, uh, SAFC Shark, next game, please. So, Alex, let's kind of pivot back to, to, to what Nicholas had, has said about kind of a lack of a bit of a game plan for sale. Because I think you make a really good point about how Newcastle have obviously brought a lot of their uh, academy lads through. You know, a lot is made of Ben Stevenson and Adam Radwan, who are both playing on the wings for, for Newcastle. My kind of concern with sales performance on, on Friday very much speaks to that, that kind of lack of game plan. And you mentioned it earlier where you said, you know, teams will just box kick to us and just do it over and over again. We don't really have a solution to that. Were you surprised, A, that we didn't actually test Radwan and Stevenson more in the air, given the fact that this is kind of their first real exposure to to Premiership Rugby on a, on a pretty miserable Friday night as well? And, and B, you know, how concerned should we be uh, about the fact that, you know, we have uh, had a hell of a lot of possession uh, including in counter-attacking opportunities, and we just didn't seem to do anything apart from just kick it straight down uh, the uh, Tom Penny's throat. 
Yeah, well, I think, you know, as I say, we we were almost shown up in, in being forced into a, a sort of a game that we didn't want to play, weren't we? Um, and if you're Dean Richards, you sat there going, this is perfect because I've said we want, we want the game to be played this way because that's our best chance of being sale and it's being played exactly that way. And what we've got to be able to develop is an ability to to deal with that and turn it around. Um, and and we just don't seem to have it. We, we seem to kind of, you know, we rely so much on half-time as a, as a team because it's so often that, you know, we have a first half and a team plays a slightly different way and we just don't know how to deal with it. And it takes getting into half-time and probably being told things by the coaching staff for us to change it. And, you know, you saw that in this game. We'd scored no points in the first half because we couldn't deal with the way Newcastle were playing. And then we came out in the second half, managed to start getting some points on the board and scored 13 points. You know, we won the second half 13-5. If we'd been able to switch after 20 minutes even to to understanding what was going on and how to neutralise it and how to counter it, then we would have won the game. Um, I mean, in the same vein, if we didn't give away a penalty, you didn't get a penalty reversed in front of the post, we would have won the game. Um, but it's just that I think we seem to struggle with changing our game plan and we seem to have a way of playing. And if it goes well, brilliant, and we'll score loads of points, we'll look really good. And if it doesn't go well, we just can't seem to find a, a way out. You know, when Newcastle are kicking to you all the time, and you're kicking back, and it's just back and forth and back and forth, you think, okay, why don't we drop Dan Debrea or Jean-Luc Debrea into the backfield? You know, one player out of the line, and then when Faf gets the ball, he runs up, gives it to Jean-Luc or Dan, who hit up, and then we can... if They will make metres in the contacts. They will dominate the collisions, because they always do. And then that sort of negates the effect of having your whole forward line in effect behind your ball carrier because instead of Faf going in and getting whacked by someone like Gary Graham if Jean-Luc or Dan Debrea or another big ball carrier goes in wins the collision and then you can get your forwards time to get around and win that rook and you're not giving up possession but it's just you know that never seemed to occur to anyone no one on the field seemed to go you know we can't just keep kicking the ball back to them and and the problem is you know you you go 10 points down like we did that's a hell of a lot of points to make up um and in our to, to our credit, we did it. But at the same time, you've got to think at some point Newcastle are going to come back here. So you know, it's not you can't give teams a ten point head start and expect to win games. Um, and I think it's you know as as was probably made clear in quite a lot of the three word reviews, it's just that on field ability to think what's going on and how do we change it. And you know, I don't get it because we've got a World Cup winner at nine. We've got a, a 10 who's won the Pro 14. Um, you know, we've got forwards who've played in big games in South Africa. And I think, you know, we just need a bit more leadership on the field. And what we probably need is like a Bryn Evans and a Rob Webber who've been there and done it. And, you know, that's probably what we're missing a bit. We've got this big pack and they're really talented. But actually, how many of them have done it at a really high level? You know, a one tight games and you know been able to adapt game plans you know they're all probably very very good at what they do but they just don't you know we need a bit more of that kind of rugby brain i think do do you so yeah do do you agree then off off the back of that that the issue sale have is that the way we 
set out to play is basically to play a, a physically dominant bullying game up front with the Van der Mervers, the Dupreeers, people who just run into people over and over again. John Ross, obviously, he wasn't playing on Friday, but it's the same style of play. Because to, to me, that feels like that's our, our, our route one. That, that's our kind of plan A. And ultimately, when, when that doesn't work, which it didn't on Friday, I'll touch upon that momentarily, it does feel like we just don't have any ideas. And that was certainly the case on Friday. Newcastle matched us physically. They matched us at the game line. They slowed everything down at the breakdown. And... I think my issue, Alex, is I'm, I'm kind of looking around and saying, okay, well, well, Newcastle have kind of got us there, but then there's just nothing, we just don't offer anything else. And so I, kind of my question to you is, you know, who, where, where do you kind of place the blame on that? Is is it the forwards not being smart enough to not just run into to, to a black wall over and over again? Is it on the halfbacks for not managing the game differently? Or should it be more on, on, on the back three and, and the centres for not, bringing themselves into the game or kicking uh, more acutely or actually challenging the Falcons' cover defence. Because it did feel like for <laughs> 74 minutes, we gave the ball to Cobus Vice, we gave it to the Dupria brothers, we gave it to whoever. We just had them running to Gary Graham and Sean Robinson over and over again. Uh, and then we'd kick it away. You know, and, 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 and kind of where, where do you think the blame kind of lies for that? And, and you know, is it the on-field players or should it be the coaching staff? Well, I think it's, I, for me, it's coaching staff and leadership group of the players because, you know, we, we should be able to change a game. We should be able to amend our game plan. And I think part of it is having the players on the field to recognise that it's not working and think, how do we change this? But part of it is having a plan B that you go to in training. And, you know, having a plan C that you go to in training and thinking, I, I think, genuinely, I think this week, I, I really do think Dimes just got a bit outsmarted by Dean Richards. I think Dean Richards is a really, really canny operator and knows exactly what he wants to do. And I think, you know, we, we just didn't see that coming. We thought, okay, we'll go and play our game. We'll play our way. Um, we didn't play that well against Northampton, to be honest, but we probably, we, we came out with a bonus point win. Um so, you know, clearly what we do works. Um, and when you go away from home, it just doesn't seem to. And I think, you know, you look at that that Falcons team, and with all due respect, what you've got there is some very good but young, inexperienced local players and some older, really experienced, been around the Premiership for ages, heads. You've got, you know, Mickey Young, Toby Flood, Luther Burrell in key decision-making positions. You've got Gary Graham, who's really experienced, and then... And George McGregor at hooker, and then you've got you know young kids, but who were who were in with what they understand what the team needs to do, and you know there's a game plan and they played to it, and you know part of that it's not going to come off every week, and they'll probably be on, on the end you know when Exeter play them because Exeter are an intelligent rugby side, they'll probably get torn apart because Exeter will work out a way to play it, but we just don't have. I think it's it's something in the week. It's a combination for me of coaches and leadership group being able to change it on the field, but also knowing in the week that this may well be what you come up against. Um, and I just think we we didn't look like we knew what had hit us for the first half, did we? It just it was a it was it was fifteen players trying to work out what the hell was going on and how on earth we were going to deal with it. 
for me. Um, it's just yeah. frustrating. I think. Really good point on Dean Richards, I think, as well, who I think him and the rest of the Falcons coaching staff had a fantastic game on Friday because I think, and I said this at the time on our, on our little podcast group chat, um, it really feels like Falcons are coming to this game and said, we do not have the star power to match up with Sale one-on-one. We don't have a De Klerk. We don't have a Van Rensburg, etc. So what we're going to do is basically kill the game. We're just going to slow everything down. We're just going to front up physically. We're, we're not going to play much with the ball in our own half. We'll put the onus on Sale to do it. And that, and I'm interested to see if you agree, Alex, that feels like the way to beat a team like Sale at the moment is basically say, we're just going to load our team up with people who can match physicality at the game line, and we're just going to kick the ball to you, and you have to break us down. And to be honest, as we were saying before, if Sale can't get that game line dominance and can't make dominant carries and can't build the platform for, for our backs, we just don't have any options. No, exactly. I think you're completely right. We, we just look lost. We, you know, we don't have good tactical kickers. Um, you know, I think that was clear on, on Friday. I think fast box kicking is decent, but I don't think it's in AJ's repertoire to, you know, move teams around the field and, and just push them into the corner constantly. Um, we don't seem to have, we don't really have exciting flair backline players um, who can sort of light up, you know, find the gaps and make a step. I think Denny's out of form and Hammersley and Lee James are really, really solid and brilliant players, but can't do that. So what we sorry, require... Sorry, sorry, Alex. Uh, this is something I wanted to ask about, actually. Do you, do you think Sale, on that point, do you think Sale lack a bit of pace in, in our back line? Do you, do you think like that's that's the biggest hole that we have? Because you know you look at you look at the first couple of games of the season and and so, between Solomona, who like you said is out of form, uh, Luke James and Simon Hammersley, I mean, where's the sort of Cheslin Kobe who can you know just run around someone? The, the, the Johnny May, the you know um, Sevu Reese, you know I, I, that that's that's to me seems like one of the areas where we were really struggling on Friday night as well, because we can't run around anyone, let alone through them. Yeah, I think it's a good point, because you look at sort of the dangerous players in the league, and, you know, I think, like, Matt Proctor looked really good against us um, for Saints, I thought, in attack, because he had pace and he could get around the outside as the outside centre. Um, you see Henry Slade doing it for England um, to an extent, and Curtis Rona was doing it for London Irish on, on Sunday. You know, we do, I think you're right, you know, Sam James is a great player and he's got a gas, but he's a very, very steady sort of, you know, cultured player almost. We've not got that sort of, unless Denny's in, in his best form, we've not got that player who can, you know, step and find a hole. And, and the way we beat defenders is through contact rather than through avoiding contact, I think. That's the biggest difference, isn't it? It, it feels that way. And I think we've got, We've got quick players. Van Rensburg's got a really good turn of pace. He can get away from a defender. Same with Solomona. But like you said, our, our game is very much, you know, attack the you know the inside shoulder, play off a, a dominant scrum or a, a dominant kind of game line, you know, kind of hit hit players at pace when they're having to retreat because the Dupriers have, have made four, four or five metres off a carry. And where we really struggle is, and obviously we didn't really see it from Newcastle's perspective, 
because he didn't have to to kind of show it. But you look at the, there was one kick in the I can't remember. I think it was the first half where basically Falcons just kicked it long uh, off the back of a turnover and just had Adam Radwan chase it. Now Radwan. A lot was kind of made up, up about him, you know, during the game. He didn't touch the ball once, I don't think, in, in attack. But what you saw was just pace off the back of this this turnover clearance. And actually, what it did was it really stretched the game for us. Uh, and it was a it resulted in a, in a net game for Newcastle of about 20 metres, just because they turned the ball over, kicked it long, and actually had someone who could just run after the ball and really put pressure on the covering defence. We don't have that for a start as a as a defensive tactic uh, or as a territory tactic. But, but also, you know, a, a, on a different day, you could have had someone like Radwan playing in the outside channels, playing as a, you know, playing on the 13 channel. And, you know, if he'd got the ball and he can get a step on, on somebody, there is nobody in the cell team who's catching him. And... That, I think, is a worry defensively, but it also means that we can't do something similar because Friday night would have been the perfect time to say, right, we can't beat this team up front, so what we're going to do is we're going to play out the back and we're going to get uh, our quickest player in, in at 12 or in at 13 to either blow through a hole in the middle of the field or actually get around somebody. Because at the end of the day, if you've got a genuine speeder, speedster, you can take Toby Flood and Luther Burrell on. They're not particularly... You know they're not slow, but they're, they're they're certainly not renowned for their pace. And it really felt like we were missing just somebody who could just turn on the gas and, and create a hole that way for for the rest of our players. And you know that's that that's kind of where I'm I'm sitting on it, thinking this that seems to be the hole in our squad at the moment. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think it's been a hole in the squad for a long time. To be fair, since we lost Addison, really hasn't doesn't it? That's the last player who did that kind of thing for us. Um, but I think there's another point here that. You know, if if we had been able to retain possession better, and that is across all areas, that is across not losing the ball in contact, which we did many times, that is winning scrums and winning lineouts, we would have won this game by a country mile. The amount of times we took it off first or second phase ball and coughed it up in contact was ridiculous. For a professional rugby team to just constantly be dropping the ball was so frustrating. So, you know, I think we've talked about the game plan and. And kind of, and you're right. We don't have that pace, but if we execute our game plan accurately, we would have won this game. And the fact is, we didn't. We we couldn't because we lost momentum at every step through giving away penalties, dropping the ball, not winning lineouts, and not winning scrums. So every time possession started, you know, we were struggling to build phases and keep hold of it, weren't we? So it's just, you know. There is a lot of elements to this, and it's always the way after a loss that all of your weaknesses are exposed, whereas after a win, we sort of tend to paper over them. Um, but I think it's a, it was a pretty stark lesson for us, um, and, and probably you know, the, the crash down to earth that we would have expected in game one has just come in game two instead. Yeah, and I think that's the most disappointing thing. I, you know, for all the things we've just said, the bluntness in attack, uh, the the lack of any sort of meaningful gains around the pitch, you know, the the pretty poor set piece, which we'll come on to, you know, ultimately with with a couple of minutes left on the well, in fact, actually with with no time left on the clock, we were winning, and we had a good chance of of getting away from a pretty tough ground to go to on a Friday night in Kingston Park with at the very least a draw, and. You, you know, the, the the try coming the last play of the game is what it is. Ultimately, that didn't necessarily decide the game. It was the, the previous 81 minutes. Um, 
had a pretty flat performance nearly ended up with us with us picking up a win and there is something in that but ultimately you know if we're going to be a top four team you know if we're going to be this team that everyone's hyping us up to be is that the challenges to exeter's sort of crown um you, you can't have games like this and you know there's always going to be three or four stinkers throughout the year and you know ultimately i'm glad it's happened against newcastle because i want to see them do well as a as a, a northern rugby fan but it, it does really feel like these are the sort of banana skin games that we should be really putting behind us and actually that we started to put behind us but when you're investing, you know, fully in the in, in the salary cap, and you you're spending, you know, millions on 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 these players who you brought in to play a very particular way uh, and develop this kind of style, which can just bulldoze through the rest of the league, it's pretty disheartening when that just doesn't happen. Uh, and ultimately, you're left looking at it. Uh, it does, you know, end up causing a bit of a, a, cri- a crisis of conscience to be like, you know, have we built this team the right way? Because if Newcastle, who on paper are a f- uh, you know, a far uh, inferior team in terms of talent, basically just have to make all the tackles, um, you know, and win a couple of breakdowns. If that's enough to beat this team, then I don't know what that says about our title aspirations. And, you know, that, that that's probably an overreaction. I, I'm sure, I think we'll correct it next weekend against the Irish. I think, you know, it's inevitable that you're going to have games like this. But I think this Newcastle game is, you know, Newcastle have shown every other team in the league how to beat us. Uh, and it, I think more worryingly, it's shown every team in the league who are inferior to us how to beat us. And that could be the real banana skin that, that costs Sailor, you know, a, a genuine chance at a, a premiership title this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, our problem is that sometimes it looks like we think we can just put big players in front of the opposition and they will make you know they will make win the contacts and find a miracle offload but you can't you've got to put them in space and you know you've got to manipulate that space and and you've got to you know move opposition defenses around you can't you know this is professional rugby you can't just expect to send Dan Debrio Jean-Luc Debrio Cobas Visa at whoever in the opposition team and for them to win the contact, you know, the opposition are professional rugby players as well, unfortunately. And therefore, they're going to make the tackles because if they didn't make the tackles, they wouldn't be getting paid. So, you know, it's just, I think it's a bit of or sometimes naivety on our part in being able to, you know, manipulate that space. And, and But we come back to this point, don't we? If we executed our game plan right, we would have won the game. But I think probably what our frustrations and what we're saying is if we had a different game plan that we executed at the percentage we executed this game plan at we would might have won the game as well so our game plan is very if it all goes right we will win games but if it's 10 percent off we won't win games and i don't think you can afford that because you can never expect to be 100 percent week in week out so i think we just need to have something else that we go to where if we operate it at 18%, 70%, we can still stand the chance of winning games. And I think that, that's why it seems like Exeter are ultimately so successful. If, if the pick and drive isn't working, well, they've got rapid wingers who they can just uh, chase, chase after kicks and put pressure on a team a very different way. Or they've got bulldozers in the midfield, which admittedly Sale do have. But, you know, it's having these sort of two or three different ways of playing. You know, it's like Saracens. Saracens have the Saracens way of playing and it's 
very effective, and it's what we've modeled our game plan off as well. But ultimately, there's three or four different ways they can beat you. And, you know, look at England in the Autumn Nations Cup. It's exactly the same thing. They can run through you. They can run around you. They can uh, outmaneuver you tactically. And that's what it feels like Sailor lacking a little bit at the moment. Um, and, and ultimately, it's why games like Fridays are so disappointing. Um, because, you know, there's four points there for us. And I thought, you know, when that try went in in the corner, that our kind of talent had won out and we'd kind of gotten away with one and we've, you know, we've laboured, but we've ultimately been rewarded for, for how we've built the squad and, and the players that we've brought in. But ultimately, like you said, Alex, you know, that, that 10%, 15%, 20%, that just wasn't there on, on Friday. And it means, you know, ultimately, even with a, a last cast try, we're only a couple of points ahead and all it takes is a, a pretty deft kick over the top from Mickey Young uh, to, to win the game for, for, for Newcastle. So, We've gone full circle there, so let's uh, let, let's close this game off then with uh, with a quick stats segment. Uh, if uh, if it's if your ears aren't bleeding already, <laughs> yeah, no, feel free to skip this if you're fed up of hearing about how rubbish that game was. Because I'm afraid it doesn't get much better. Although I will start with a positive: uh, the defense was superb. We were 95% tackle success rate, so 154 out of 165 tackles, which is pretty incredible, to be fair. Um, so I'll keep going on that positive. We had 112 tackles made by our starting pack um, out of the 154. So it really was some grunt up front. Ben Curry, 20 out of 21. Uh, Jean-Luc Dupria, 16 out of 17. And then in the second row, Cobus Reese and James Phillips made 35 between them and didn't miss a single one. So there's some incredible defensive performances. Um, now on to the rest of the game, which isn't quite as encouraging. Um, I think where I will start is penalties because it was really frustrating and we've talked about it. We gave away six penalties for offside, which is just criminal in a game like this. I mean, probably three or four of them were in that period when Newcastle were pressuring our line, but it's still a hell of a lot of penalties. In total, we gave away 19 um, and Falcons gave away 17. But, you know, that's probably just about the difference in points, isn't it? You know, you've given away those extra two penalties. Um Line out again, pretty poor, um, especially compared to last week. So we were seventy five percent of the line out, and that was both Acker and Langdon. Um, Langdon three out of four, Acker nine out of twelve. Um, it just isn't really good enough at this level. Um, I'm not sure how that resolves, but maybe we'll talk about that after this. Uh, there might be a, a two point six meter tall solution. Um, attack wise. Some some positives. Uh, we made 192 meters off 71 carries, uh, which is 2.7 meters a carry. So we were still making inroads compared to Newcastle, who made 185 off 103. So that's 1.8 meters per carry, which is just not really going anywhere. Um, there weren't really any men, many individual stunning performances. Cobus Beaser obviously made 34 meters, uh, most of which were his try. Uh, and Simon Hammersley made 34 metres, which is pretty impressive in the game. Uh, and Luke James made 25. But there's a lot of uh, a lot of grunt, not a lot of reward. Um, so I'll come on to kicking. Um, but just before I do, possession, 38% possession for sale in the game and 41% territory. Um, another reason we didn't win the game, because we didn't have the ball enough and we didn't control the game. We let Newcastle control it by kicking to us and making us give up possession easily. Um, so I'll come on to the kicking, which is pretty much how we lost all of our possession. So we um, 
we kicked away 50% of our possession, 40% in play and 10% out of play. Um, Newcastle kicked away 60% of their possession, but 55% of that was in play. Now, I know this is getting very boring numbers, but I think what you can see there is that they just kept the ball on the field, but made us do something with it, and we had no answer, which kind of supports what we were saying earlier, Lewis. But the problem is that because they kept giving us the ball back and didn't let us... um, you know, they didn't kick it out of play. They didn't let us win it back off them. We were gaining possession in kind of our own half all the time, but then we were giving it up too easily and we gave up 13% of our possession in total through turnovers, whether that's dropping the ball or not, or losing it, Rook or Maul or whatever. That's compared to Newcastle, who only gave up 3% of their ball through turnovers. So pretty much all they did with their ball was kick it in play 55%, Won a penalty, 15%. Um, and then the rest is kind of non, you know, there's bits and bobs around it. But their game plan was pretty much focused around giving us the ball and seeing what we could do with it. And our problem was we didn't do anything with it. Um, just on turnovers, um, we gave up 13 in total compared to Newcastle's uh, 12. We dropped the ball four times. We lost it in a rook or more four times. And we got carried into touch twice. Um this is all very frustrating, as, as you can imagine. Um, and just to finally sort of close the book on this kicking, um, so Faftiklerk kicked 18 times, Mickey Young kicked 22 times, but Brett Connan kicked 21 times, and AJ only kicked eight times. So that's probably partially the difference as well, that AJ isn't a kicking 10. Um, his tactical kicking that we talked about isn't really there, and as a result, we seem to struggle. Um, I've talked about lineouts, but scrums we were seventy eight percent lost two uh, with penalties conceded at two we lost. So overall, I think it supports what we've said. It, we were outsmarted, and we didn't have any answer to what to what Newcastle were kind of asking us to do, which was play inventive rugby and break them down. Um, and instead, we just let them kick to us. We let them win penalties. And as a result, they controlled the game, controlled the scoreline right up until the very end. Um, and I think, you know, one really good bit of play um, in the Cobras Visa try probably doesn't offset the many mistakes and possession losses and poor kicking that um, that preceded it. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, the, the, the one stat I think we could take away with this, with any uh, glee, is uh, one... Sh- AJ McGinty style show and go from Cobus Visa uh, for, for his try, which I thought was, uh, he's obviously been learning from, from the master of that move. It's great, great, uh, great dummy, actually. Um, I, I, it sold me. I thought he was going to set, set Marlon off for, for a, a, a sprint for the corner, but actually he just, uh, just kept the ball in hand and, and rode the tackle really well. Nice, nice try actually. And, you know, Visa's the latest South African who's joined the the squad, and after you know some some pretty nondescript games so far, has started to really make an impact. You want to talk about making an impact? You want to talk about another South African joining Sale? Well, before we talk about London Irish, let's talk about the news that broke today, which is that Sale have officially announced the signing of JP Dupria, uh, a very tall young man from South Africa. So, Alex, we actually had this news uh, first, I believe. Uh, we were the first, on, at least on Twitter, to, uh, to, to break it, the, the fact that Sale were in talks with the, with the Cheetahs lock to, to join the club. 
We've now had it confirmed that it's a two-year deal. Um, so in addition to providing cover for, for Beaumont and Diago, who are both out with medium to long-term injuries, Dupree will be sticking around, presumably as a replacement for, for James Phillips, who uh, is, is beginning to approach the end of his career, one would assume. Um, but Alex, I mean, <laughs> the, J, the JP Dupree highlight reel on, on YouTube is unsurprisingly a lot of lineouts. You know, what, what are you most excited to see uh, from, from, from this signing on to, at face value anyway? Um, I'm excited to have a, what I hope is a genuine line-out operator because um, I don't think we've got one really, have we? You know, we've got Phillips and Visa, who are probably both in a similar mould. We've got Jean-Luc Dupria, who's not a second row. Um, and our two line-out callers are out with long-term injuries. So I'm excited to have someone who is, I think, hopefully going to bring a bit of organisation to that line-out. Um, but also just, you know, he's a big unit around the field. He looks, you know, like he's got a little bit of pace on him as well. Um, I suppose when you've got legs that long, you have to be quite pacey. Um, so, yeah, I think that lineup part will be massive. Um, but hopefully it brings a bit of balance to our second row because at the moment we are a bit like the rest of our team, sort of all grunt. Um, and maybe we need a bit more um, refinement, although refinement coming in the form of a um, however many foot tall lock um, is a bit of an irony yeah but I think it, it, I'm really hoping to see just some ridiculous line outtakes in the sort of Brit Evans Stretch Armstrong style what about you? I mean I think Stretch Armstrong seems to be the the, the most apt comparison so Dupria is the tallest player to, to ever play for a super rugby team uh, and I believe he will be the second tallest player to ever play uh, in, in the Premiership. So the guy, the guy's a unit, right? He's massive. I don't actually know how much weight and ballast he's going to bring to the sales scrum and the, the scale sale pack. Um, just because you know, when you're six foot ten or, or however tall he is, it's very difficult to kind of keep a, a lot of muscle mass. Um, on your body and, and kind of retain your mobility. So I think it's it's a really interesting signing. Um, I think obviously, you know, if, if we want to be completely cynical about it, it it's not the most prestigious signing. Um, you know, I don't believe he's ever been capped for the Springboks. He's been he's very much a, a squad player in, uh, in in Super Rugby, playing for the for the Free State Cheaters and, and before that the Lions uh, from Johannesburg. But you know, I think. It's a very, I think, a very economic signing. Sale have, have been able to build a squad using uh, a market inefficiency where, you know, top-class South African players are available much cheaper than, than other players from around the world because the economics in, 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 in the UK versus South Africa. I think Dupree is going to fit in as a really, really interesting squad player and somebody who can probably dovetail with someone like James Phillips, who I think, you know, is, is probably on the way out. And I think he's good injury cover as well. I think I don't think this changes anything in terms of our starting lineup. I still actually think potentially Jean Luc Dupria and um, Lou Diago, when, when everyone's fit, might be sales starting uh, second row. But I really like the idea of going out, plucking someone from South Africa, you know, potentially who's. Not, maybe never going to be a test player, but it'll be a good premiership player. We've spoken about that a lot in the past, about why, how you, how much you need those sort of players to fill in the gaps when your test players are, are unavailable. 
Uh, I like the fact that he's he's come in. He's twenty six. You know, this isn't somebody. You know, it's not like a Nathan Hines from a couple of years ago, and he's not you know super green either. He's somebody who can just come in and play now, and, and probably play for four or five years at a good level. Um, and and look, you know, he, he's he's fucking massive. Like the guy's six foot ten. He, that alone is going to salvage a couple of overthrown. Uh, lineouts from from Aka van der Merwe, you know, and, and being able to kind of reach across the gap, and the, the, you know, there's a lot of inherent physical gifts that being that tall offers, and I think I think it is going to make a big difference for 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 Sale, especially in the lineout. He's played with Aka van der Merwe before um, when they when they both played for the Lions, you know, so there's a bit of familiarity there as well. I think it's a great signing for the lineout. Uh, which hopefully papers over some of the cracks. And I think as well, you know, he looks pretty handy around the park. He's got a bit of pace. He's going to be great at at charging balls down. He's sort sort of in between a a Lou Diaga and a a Bryn Evans. And I think actually it's that Bryn Evans role that that he's uh, kind of going to have to fill, even if it's probably uh, in a a squad role that replaces a James Phillips. So I'm I'm very intrigued to see how he goes. I don't think we should be, you know, expecting a, a Lou Diaga type impact, but He's a very intriguing player and, and I think, you know, could ultimately, again, be a really efficient signing from, from, from Diamond of the coaching staff. You know, do, do you agree with that, Alex, or is there anything you take umbrage with there? No, I agree with that. I think he's the right sort of player. I do think I agree that, you know, maybe he isn't quite the the level that our line-out maybe needs, but who, who knows? Let's see how it how it goes. And I think you are right, that link-up with Aka. And bearing in mind the improvement in Aka's throwing in the last... Um, year alone hopefully that's a pretty encouraging sign um i think you know there's there's a slight issue here with the fact that our whole front our whole front eight is now south african basically um but you know i think if that's what we need to do to establish ourselves as you know premiership contenders and therefore retain local talent then then that is the uh that's the way to go so no i think from what we need, it's a pretty astute signing, and hopefully, um, hopefully it pays off, and and he's a uh, hopefully he makes an impact on the line out and and on the rest of the field. But um, yeah, let's see. Well, we know that Dupria uh, won't be able to play in Sale's next game, which comes on Sunday afternoon, a half past two kickoff uh, at London Irish's brand new shiny stadium in West London. Uh, Dupria has to undergo the the two week um, mandatory isolation period now, having just arrived in the UK. So he isn't going to be available for that game. There's going to be a lot of South Africans who who still are available though. So, Alex, you know, I think obviously James isn't here. He usually does a preview of Irish. I know you've got some stuff prepared for for you know on the Irish team. So we'll get to that momentarily. But I mean, I guess I guess to be honest, for this game, we have to kind of start with Sale and, and say, you know. Based on what we saw on Friday, are you anticipating wholesale changes to the team in an effort to to g them up and, and avoid back to back losses? Um, I'm not anticipating wholesale changes because I still think we've got to go with a pretty strong team. But I would expect to see a few tweaks and changes. Certainly, Johnny Ross is if he's better, and uh, hope that um, he is. I think he'll come back in. Um, I'd potentially like to see something in the back line. I'm not sure. You know, I think Sam Hill maybe is due a start. I don't think Rohan's been playing superbly well, and I think he made a lot of errors on uh, on Friday. So 
that would be my preference. Uh, maybe we'll see Rob Dupree at 12 after he had that little cameo on the, on Friday. That might be interesting because I do think that changed the game slightly in, in having that second distributor. Um, but, you know, I think we, we are we do have a good squad and that first team is the team that started on Friday is pretty close to our first team um, as it is. So I don't expect to see wholesale changes, but I certainly think something needs to change. And maybe that's in the coaching and, and maybe that's in the game plan. But if we go at Irish in the way we went at Newcastle, we will get beat because, again, you, you know, Declan Kidney's a, a good operator and knows what he's doing and he will be prepared for us to do exactly what we did on Friday. Um, so I think something certainly has got to change and whether that is in personnel or game plan, I'm not sure. Um, but I think a little bit of both for me. Do you do you think Sam James's place is is safe? Because we didn't really get into this in, in the Newcastle game, but I thought you know we kind of look at who's played well and who's who struggled to start the season. Sam James has now had a bit like Denny Solomona has had back to back quite anonymous games. I, I, I did not think he played well against uh, Newcastle. You know, did, could you could you see us maybe going? Rob Dupree at twelve, Van Rensburg thirteen, or maybe maybe Sam Hill, Van Rensburg twelve, twelve and thirteen. I don't know. I just I really wanted to kind of mention that because I feel like Sam James is a fantastic player, great servant to the club, and I think in a lot of ways he is one of the first names on the team sheet. But first couple of games of the season, he's 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 not made much of an impact. And actually, when we talk about maybe making a couple of changes just to freshen the side up, do do you think he's someone who could be in line to? to maybe take a spot on the bench and, and see, see what somebody else in the squad can, can bring to the first team? Um, I think there's an argument for it, but personally I wouldn't because I think with Sam James, what we tend to find is that when we don't have him in the team, it's worse than when, you know, as much as maybe he's not in the best form of his life at the moment, I think part of that is the service he got because, you know, we had virtually no possession on uh, on Friday. But the other part of that is, you know, whoever comes in, can't offer what Sam James does. And and I think what we lose with having him out of the team is greater than what we would gain by, you know, bringing someone else in at 13, maybe. Um, that's my opinion. Now, I'm sure people will disagree and you could easily make the argument that, yeah, exactly, Sam Hill and Van Rensburg or Rob Dupree and Van Rensburg in the centre would give us a different dimension. But I think, you know, if for me, I would certainly have Sam James in the team because I think we almost... He he is a clever rugby player, and I think the one thing we showed on Friday is that we need more clever rugby players in that squad to be able to react and be able to you know think about what's happening and and you know you look he he had a hand in our try you know it's a simple thing he did but he he timed his pass very well so he, for for me I would keep him in but I can see why people sort of want to go. I think there's a danger here of going, someone's not informed, so take them out of the team because we've got an embarrassment of riches. But what we actually need to do is go, what's the best squad? And I think our best 15 still has Sam James in for me. Okay, all right. I'm I'm, I'm convinced then. So I, I think we're, we're looking at this game a little bit in isolation. So what what can we expect from Irish then on, on Sunday? And, and how do we... You know, maybe I'll answer that question in terms of how we tailor our game around that. But I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on who are the danger men for Irish and, and what we need to be wary of. Yeah, well, the um, the win against Leicester um, on Sunday, 19 points to nine, which was the first game at the the new stadium. 
Um, so a happy homecoming for them. Uh, and that's a Leicester side that beat Gloucester pretty comfortably the week before. So it was a pretty impressive performance, um, certainly better than their performances against Worcester at six ways, um, where they really seemed to struggle. And I think the thing with Irish is, you know, what, we've, what we're at massive risk of doing is underestimating them, and less so with the team, this is more as fans, but going, oh, it's, it's only London Irish. They have got some incredible players on their books now. You know, the front row they started with on uh, on Sunday was Alan Dell, Augustin Creevy, and Scopey Kepu. So that's three tier one internationals. All of them had really good games. Alan Dell had a really, really good game. Um, in the back row, they've got Blair Cowan. Uh, they've got former sale man Matt Rogerson, the captain now, who's playing really, really well. Um, and then Steve Maffey come off the bench, the ex Leicester Tiger player who bossed the line out when he came on the field. So, you know, up front, They've more than got enough to match us, I think. And then in the backs, they've got some really dangerous players. Um, uh, first choice to come off, Ben Meehan came off injured at half-time on Sunday, but they brought on 72-cap international Nick Phipps, um, the Australian scrum off, off the bench, um, who's a pretty dangerous player. Paddy Jackson is at 10, and he's looking pretty dangerous, um, looking in good form, both with the ball in hand and uh, off the kicking tee. Um, and they've got, you know, we talked about maybe we're lacking a bit of pace. Um, they have got some pace. Oh, why? They've got Ben Loader and Ollie Hassel Collins, both of whom are young, raw, proper talents, um, really strong, really fast. Um, and I think that's got to be a worry for us because those two could do some damage. You know, London Irish have got a pretty strong history of producing really exciting, really good wingers. One of them's in the sales squad now in Marlon Yard. Um, but you know, and those two could do some damage. And then Curtis Rowan in the centre um, also looks pretty dangerous. And, you know, I think they've got threats all over the field and we have got to be really, really careful that we understand what those threats are and are able to neutralise them. Um, because, you know, they're not just a team that's going to roll over and have their belly tickled. They are a really, really strong team and they've got some real threats. So I think it's going to be a tough game, especially away from home. Um, so I think it's going to need a big response from Sale to last week. How we do that, I will leave to you, but certainly beware of Irish and beware of the talent in that team because there is some proper international class talent. I, th- I think what's interesting with Irish is, you know, la- last year a lot of these names kind of came in, Sean O'Brien, uh, Sakafi Kepu, Adam Coleman, who's actually not with the squad, but, um, you know, another, you know, uh, uh, tier one international with with a plethora of caps, Wasaki Naholo, who you didn't mention there, Alex, but you know, an incredible winger. You know, all these players came in last year, and, and it was a bit of a it was a bit of a transition year for for, for Irish. Um, in that, you know, I think we went down there and beat them by forty points, and then they came up to us and we beat them by forty points, and you know, it's it's very indicative of the fact that rugby is a, is a team game and, and ultimately star power does only get you so far. I mean, cell <laughs> fans obviously have just listened to the first 50 minutes of this podcast know that, you know, there, there's a lot more to it. Um, this year, though, they do feel like it's the, the next step in, in, in their evolution as a squad. They've got these fantastic players, Phipps, Jackson, Sean O'Brien, Rob Simmons, um, you know, who are going to be joining the squad kind of, you know, now and, and throughout the season are really going to kind of push them into, into the mix for, for, for top six, I think, eventually. But actually, then you look around the squad and like you said, you know, Ben Meehan's the starting scrum half. Um, uh, 
Billy Meeks has just come back from Australia. He's playing in the centres. Ben Loder, Ollie Hassel, Collins uh, come through his academy products. I mean, Matt Rogerson and George Knott, you know, two two sale ex two ex sale players are, are playing for them. So it's really interesting how they're starting to real find that blend between the, the top star talent and then obviously some of these young players that they're either developing through their own academy or getting from around the league and, and, and kind of nurturing as their own. So I think you know. We, we can't kind of go into the game underestimating Irish. I think this is very much step two as part of maybe a three or four year cycle. Uh, and I think ultimately, you know, there are areas where we, we can take advantage. I think the back row especially is an area where we should be looking to, to dominate. I think there's a reason why George Knott and Matt Rogerson didn't make it at sale. Uh, and I think both are very good players, but ultimately... Ben Curry, John Oros, Dan Dupria, Jean-Luc Dupria, etc., are, are better players. So I think that's the kind of area where we really have to target. I think ultimately, if you can completely dominate that area, it has an impact on the game line, uh, which means you can't get the ball to players like Ben Loder and Ollie Hassel Collins with any space or any platform to attack. So I think we actually, again, kind of have to go into this game and, and be a bit more smart with how we approach it. That might be a big ask, given what we know about Sale so far. But ultimately, there's a very much a, a pathway for Sale to win this. And a lot of it, ironically, is fronting up physically, dominating the game line, uh, and basically starving Irish of, of, of any ball. Now, that's something that we've shown that we can do, and it worked really well against Northampton in the first game of the season. So I think that's kind of how we're going to have to approach it. But you do just look at this Irish squad now and think that might work... It didn't work for, for sale on, on Friday. It might still work with this version of the Irish team, but actually in a year's time when they've got Adam Coleman and Rob Simmons as the starting second row and they've got a few of these other players who've, who've kind of come in and settled in, in the UK, it's going to be a very different proposition. So I think we can really kind of, we can play a simple game, uh, but one that's going to be very effective against this current Irish team. But I think ultimately Irish as a as a club are developing and actually we could get punched in the mouth here if, if we don't execute our single game plan to its absolute uh, most, uh, most efficient. So I think it'll be a really interesting game and I certainly don't think we're going to win by 40 points, but I think it is going to be one where on paper at least, we're just a year or two ahead of Irish in, in the development of the squad. And I think we should be able to make that advantage pay um, with all, all being well and, uh, you know, conditions being okay and, and, you know, avoided as much of a repeat of Friday night as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on that, I suppose on that, what's your prediction for, uh, for the Irish game? So I'm, I'm back in sale. I think we, we kind of have to. I think there'll be a real response from the club and the and the players this week. Like I said, I don't think it'll be a 40-point blowout, but I think, you know, if conditions are okay, we should have enough to, to really turn the screw. So I'm going to say sale 27, uh, Irish 17. Uh, what about you, Alex? Oh, I'm saying that we will come back, but we will struggle. Uh, I'm going to say... Sale 22, Irish 18, I think. Um, I think I think we'll probably be comfortable, but maybe concede a last-minute try and Irish will get a bonus point out of that. It's a very specific prediction this week. That's all right. We've got a little bit of extra time to kill with, with no James here to make a prediction. Um, <laughs> very last thing on this Irish game then. Uh, what do you think of the new stadium? Yeah, it looks really good. 
Um, I've got their. Um, they are back in town, as they say. Um, so I think it. Hopefully, it looks like a really good pitch as well. So um, it should be should be a good game of rugby, and hopefully, we get to see some running rugby rather than the plastic based dross that we saw last Friday. Absolutely. So uh, that's it for for another week of the podcast. Thank you very much to, to all our listeners who've, who've you know had a bit of shade and frowder, you know, listening to us moan about the you know the the Newcastle game on Friday. You know, and fingers crossed, this time next week we'll be coming to you off the back of uh, a much more exciting game of rugby for a start, uh, and actually uh, a much more um, satisfying result for for Sale as well, who obviously. Uh, are looking to make amends so uh, thanks for everyone listening thanks to everybody who provided three word reviews thank you for everyone who's been sending us youtube videos of uh, jp dupria in the last couple of hours um and i think that that's basically everything from from me alex uh, you know before we sign off anything from you um no i don't think it can get any worse than last friday but let us see i've been proved wrong as a sale fan before <laughs>